Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is... Beth Mantle. Hey, y'all. Hey, it's Mickey Turner. How's it going? I'm Dave Clark. <laughs> <laughs> and because this is a recurring bit, I don't mind saying we didn't even rehearse it this time. They just jumped right in and took visual cues to uh, introduce themselves. Hey, everyone. Uh, we are here on uh, November 29th. Our bellies are full and hopefully recovering from the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and we had our first postseason weekend uh i don't know at first i think i was pretty i was struggling with that early exit this is the first time in sounders history that they've failed to at least make the conference finals conference semifinals sorry it's the first time in i think 10 years that they failed to at least win one playoff game so it was it was a it was a shock to the system i think and yet i'll speak for myself on sunday i i found myself kind of enjoying the day off, like not being worried about soccer and certainly not stressing out about soccer and not worrying about making plans for two more weeks that I wasn't able to like put into stone. I realize that's definitely a uh, half glass full perspective, but I don't know. I don't find myself like, Oh, you know, now almost a week removed from that playoff exit to RSL. I am, I'm not struggling with this as much as I thought I would be. Yeah, I think it helps that, you know, the Sounders, have, we've had a lot of success over the last, you know, five years, uh, two MLS Cups, four MLS Cup appearances. Uh, that definitely takes a little bit of the sting out of not or going out in the first round, especially in the manner in which they did, which I guess wasn't horrible, but it was still pretty It was kind bad. of horrible to watch. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> bad. Um, my, my, my kind of thought or just kind of watching that is – you know, this just isn't happening as the, as the game was kind of unfolding, they weren't, you know, they obviously dominated RSL in every way, except for the one that mattered, which was, you know, putting at least one ball in the back of the net. Uh, But you just kind of sit there watching it and they're not doing a whole lot with the chances that they provided of Choa didn't really have to make that one spectacular save. It wasn't like he was standing on his head the entire game. He was just kind of, picking the ball up and falling down and wasting time in the 37th minute for uh, reasons which didn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, at least at the time, until you kind of realize that they had no intention of really uh, attacking the Sounders in any way whatsoever. Uh, but it worked for them. Um, and that again, that didn't make it any less difficult to watch, except for just maybe an entertainment standpoint. But, you know, again, they, it's not like they didn't uh, have their opportunities. They just did precious little with them through the entire game, pretty much. 
I think one of the, the psychological benefits, uh, you know, we might have hated that schedule, the MLS Cup playoff schedule when it originally came out. But frankly, if you're going to lose on it, if you're going to lose in the first round, having it the Tuesday before Thanksgiving gives you a lot of time to forget that you lost. Like there have been <laughs> moments today when I'm like, they lost weeks ago. And then right. I'm like, oh, no, it's actually just six days. Uh, yeah. And it's because so much else is going on in our lives that, you know, if they played one of those, what, there were games all the way back uh, the Friday beforehand. Um, yeah. You know, the- so maybe, maybe missing out more would have happened if, it, if the schedule was kind of normalized. But this, I mean, we'd had no opportunity to forget about playoff soccer because MLS basically has a game uh, every other night for a month and a half. Um, so we can forget about the Sounders playing, but you know, you said you, Sunday didn't have soccer stress. Uh, there's still two playoff games for MLS, one for, uh, for uh, the USL championship, but there's plenty of soccer. If you like soccer to, yeah. to watch and not think about uh, the fact that the Sounders uh, basically started the Thanksgiving weekend um, disappointing you. Yeah, I muted that... all of the MLS accounts on all social oh, media platforms, <laughs> like minutes after minutes after the final whistle went. Uh, so I honestly did not know that there were playoff matches. I think I have thought about this match for a total of like 15 minutes since it happened. And it helps that that game finished so late. I came, I got home. I was like, wow, that was, that was really something. And then went to bed and woke up the next day and just went on with my life. It was just a very like, anticlimactic finish really y'all are going to get to see my lifetime processing of this game because i genuinely have not thought about it yeah and and before we get into like processing the game itself uh i i I will say that you know watching the way the playoffs have unfolded if you had given in a granted i i accept that this is a false choice and that after seeing what rsl did to sporting kansas city i went from feeling like well it's fine that we didn't advance to because we would have lost to Kansas city anyway, to now feeling like we probably would have beaten Kansas city because Kansas city looked like hot garbage against RSL. But if I had to choose between losing at home to RSL, where we blew a one goal lead or went out of at home around earlier against, uh, against RSL and penalties, I'll take going out in penalties because that was, that would have been absolutely meltdown. Like if we had lost the way that Kansas city lost, I think the Sounders community would be in full-blown revolt right now. Uh, like that was not, that it's is a bad way to lose. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a bad a way to lose, way to, to lose at home. Yeah. They, they were at home. They got, uh, they, they, they went ahead on a penalty and then they took one shot in the second half and they had an XG from open play for the game of something like 0.09 and even only like 0.2 with when you include set pieces, not including that penalty. I mean, it was a really pitiful performance by Sporting Kansas City, and really it couldn't happen to a better team. Well, this is the most I've actually heard about this because I didn't even watch the game. <laughs> uh, I had other, other things going on this weekend, but um, it sounds uh, really entertaining from the way you describe it. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to maybe actually re-watching this game now. They lost to Salt Lake as if they normally lose to Seattle on an extra time ender, basically like they had barbecue tears. It was a stoppage time goal that ended their playoff season. That would suck. I mean, of all the ways to lose 
throughout this whole like playoffs, Seattle had the most honorable loss, if that makes sense. Like the the loss where you're like, well, that kind of happens. It's penalty kicks, whatever. I mean, it's not like they missed every penalty kick, <laughs> including two right. that weren't even on target, like Nashville. Um, right. You know, like that's another one. Right. I, I, the, speaking of gru- gru- gruesome ways to go out to uh, to go over four on penalties is that one's that one's going to sting. My mom texted me about that. She was like, <laughs> Nashville missed all their penalties. And I thought she was being dramatic because sometimes my mom is dramatic like that. And I was like, really? All of them? And she was like, yeah, like they didn't make any of them. Just shocking. Genuinely thought it was a joke. Yeah, I, they missed I, frame. Like they, it, it wasn't just like Kellen Rose penalty was saved and barely so. Like there is an alternate world where the spin on that ball is different and it actually goes in the net. Like it's not like There's Seattle no didn't get dominated. The ball goes anywhere near the goal. I feel like you have to like, try to miss all of your penalties. Like yeah. you'd it, think at least one of them would just like slip past the goalkeeper and in. Yeah, 0 for 4 is pretty bad, especially when you get to select the four people who are taking them. It's not like it's not like a lottery system where like random players were pulled out from the bench and they had to shoot. It's like, no, Barry Smith got a fantastic idea and I endorse that going forward for all penalty shootouts. Yeah. Do we think that or, or the Nashville fans could have made more penalties? You know, they couldn't have done worse. We know that. They really couldn't have. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I will say, not to get too deep into Nashville trash talk, but I was, <laughs> I happened to stumble across a Gary Smith quote that said something like, Hani Mukhtar is going to make 99 out of 100 penalties. And I hate to break it to Gary, but this is a team who is analytically minded, is my understanding. And there's actually data that refutes that claim, Gary. Uh, he's actually only gotten one for three for you, and he's only one for five in his career. So we, unless we think he's taking 500 penalties and that's how we're going to even that out. Like, I don't know where he's getting his, his data from, but he's apparently expecting him to make his next 494 uh, penalty attempts, which would be really impressive. He's going to have a long career. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, uh, you know, switching back to the Sounders and kind of what we saw in this game, I think the other thing that at least for me made it a little easier to stomach is that I don't feel like we saw anything systemic about this failure. Like you can, you can say like, Oh, well it was indicative of the the lack of chance creation that they had over their last six weeks of the regular season. And I think that's true. You know, they only scored uh, three goals in those last seven games, I think is, is the, is correct. Uh, and that's bad. Uh, but I think it's pretty easy to chalk that up to a pretty obvious explanation. And that's that they could never get their squad fit and, and all on the field together. And so there were some real struggles there and that's frustrating. And there probably has to be some inward looking explanation, but I, I kind of feel like it's a very reasonable explanation at the same time to say like, yeah, but this isn't the team we expected them to have. This isn't the team. Like if you had told me this was the team that they were going to field a month ago, I, w- I would have been skeptical. If you had told me it was going to be the field that the team they're going to field two or three months ago, I would have been even more skeptical. Uh, you know, I was, I found myself more encouraged that Jordan Morris was able to go a hundred minutes and less discouraged that he didn't score in any of those 176 minutes that he played. 
If my tweets from Sounder Heart are any indication, and maybe I was being a bit dramatic, Jordan Morris had a lot of good chances. And you have to think that with maybe more than like a game under his belt that he puts those away. I think we also noticed a a couple of times he, they fed him out where he could run onto it. He he beat, beat through the line, but not enough where he had the angle where he could bring it towards goal himself. But I I think in some ways the, uh, the Sounders players, the rest of them kind of forgot that Jordan Morris can run that fast because uh, there are a couple of times where he was on an Island, just waiting for other, for his teammates to catch up. So he didn't really have a cross. Um, you saw uh, he, he crossed the ball across the face of goal as I look for the proper words and there was no one there. And that's not a Jordan Morris problem. That's a not having there was no secondary runner. Raul wasn't playing. Um, you know, he was the lone forward and they treated him like that. And unfortunately, uh, if your lone forward's wide, um, I watch this a lot with Tacoma. If your lone forward's in a wide position and faster than everybody else, he's got to wait a long time to get that ball into a dangerous space. Yeah, you know think- who was really dangerous, though? Shane O'Neill. <laughs> Where's well, Shane O'Neill? Yeah. You know, that's actually a good transition because I thought that the most interesting, the most promising chance, I went back and watched most of the game, and probably the most interesting chance, the most promising chance was a chance created by Shane O'Neill where he made an interception and drove forward. And I don't blame him for not hitting Morris earlier because he's Shane O'Neill and this isn't his job. But he had Morris, if he had just fed him the ball a little bit earlier, he could have put him in behind. But as it was, the chance ended up being Morris getting a shot on the kind of outside of his right boot. And this is the exact chance that I've seen him hit probably a hundred times in training this year. And, you know, it just, and he missed, he, he, he mishit it a little bit and he, and he missed the shot, but it was like, that was the kind of thing that to me was indicative of a, of a player who just doesn't have that much game time under his belt. And if this was, you know, if he had had a, you know, another month, to get into shape, I think that's probably a chance he converts. Yeah, I think you wrote about it and I wrote about it a little bit that the Sounders just kind of ran out of time Yeah, um, at the end of the year. They just, you know, when it when it became apparent that they weren't going to get uh, Raul Ruiz uh, on the field in that game for more than, you know, 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and that he wasn't going to be able to start, you just realize that this wasn't the team that you were hoping to see at the end of the year. Um, and there's obviously reasons for that uh, with the, with the injury crisis that they suffered, but again, they never had that team for the entire year. Um, and it was just, it was just unfortunate that these injuries reoccurred when they did. And even with three weeks of not playing, they just, they, they probably needed a game or two to try to get all of these pieces together. And again, even with the time they had off, they still didn't have everyone completely fit. Um, And you kind of got what you got in that last game. Um, They were still by far the more talented team and still by far dominated the game, but they just didn't have that sharpness um, because they were missing some of their top quality pieces, uh, you know, for, you know, just a substantial part of the end of the year. And they just ran out of time. 
I feel like we've been saying this for a few months now. It's like, yeah. oh, if we can just get this person back on the field to play with this person, it'll be great mm-hmm. again. But mm-hmm. as soon as you get that, you have it for about 30 minutes and then someone else got injured and it just, it never lined up right. The analogy- and It's not I've like been... they were just missing- Go ahead, Dave. It, it's not like they were just missing one guy and it was a matter of getting like three or four dudes together um, outside of their top five players uh, in the attack, right. Christian, Jordan, Raul, Nico. Um, they had one basically for the entire season. And even if you add Jao Paulo to that, they missed him for that final third of the season way too frequently. Like it wasn't, um, oh, we have to have 90% of our players healthy. It would have been nice to have had three of six healthy for even that final month. I mean, yeah. we're not talking like it, it's not a complaint about, oh, it was the, the injuries. They were just one player short. They were constantly three of their six best players short. I I shared a stat uh, shortly after the game that I think a lot of people took as an excuse. And I didn't mean to be it as an excuse. The center should have won. Like, let's be clear. They had the talent to beat RSL. They had the chances to beat RSL. They had the they had everything they needed. They were playing at home. There's no excuse for not beating RSL. Like, this is not that. But this is, I think, puts into context some of the challenges that they face this year. You know, you take their uh, all their DPs and TAM players. That's uh, I think there's, there's nine players that fit into that category. And collectively, they were only available for about 60% of their available minutes. And that's accounting for Morris only even being on the roster for half the season technically because of the loan. Uh, And so you take that and you contrast that to last year and, and they had 75% of their, they had 11 TAM and DP players on the roster last year. They got 75% of the men's out of them, but more importantly, eight of those 11 were fully fit and fully available for the entire playoff run. And the three that weren't were Kelvin Leardom, Gustav Svensson and Joven Jones, all of whom still ended up playing. They just weren't fully fit and available uh, towards the end of the season. And they also ended up being the three players they let go. So I don't know, maybe they weren't as important as we made it out to be. Uh, point being, they just never had this team. To, they didn't, like you said, Dave, it wasn't like they were missing one or two guys. They were most of the time missing at least half of these players. Uh, and the analogy I've been using is you, it was like they had this puzzle that they knew they were still looking for the pieces because they were stuck under the couch cushions or, or whatever else. And every single time they found one of those pieces that they were missing, one other one went missing. And so it was this constant effort to put together this entire puzzle while never really having all the pieces at the same time. Injuries were to the Sounders as having a cat is to putting a jigsaw puzzle together. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. Yeah. But, you know, do we take anything from this? Do we allow or is it too easy, though, to maybe write this off and say, like, well, just run it back next year and we'll be fine? Or is there some room for uh, improvement and wondering if there's things that we should hold the Sounders to a higher level of accountability for? I think that the Sounders are going to hold themselves to that level. And I personally don't think I need to (laughs) exert the mental energy um, to like make sure they're doing that. Like I 
like you can't you can't possibly tell me with a straight face that Brian Schmetzer isn't going to think about that match in this season for like the next two months for yeah. like most of the time like a lot of these players are going to be thinking about that like a lot of the staff are going to be thinking about that um and I don't think me personally being super upset about it is going to make them work any harder because I think they're already going to do that and I think it's important to have a level of trust in the club that they're going to do the make the necessary changes to do better next year yeah I uh, I can't see a world where they don't take a look at what happened and try to make the necessary adjustments um but that doesn't mean that they're going to blow up the team because I don't think that's necessary there are some you know concerning issues that they're going to have to deal with uh, particularly uh Nico Ladero just his general health and ongoing you know uh, effectiveness uh depending on how they decide to deploy him going forward because you know even in that last game which by any account I yeah I can't imagine he was anything close to 100 percent but just seeing him run around you just see someone who's just wasn't didn't have the engine, I guess, um, that you're used to seeing from him. And whether that's uh, an issue of his his fitness um, or if he's just, you know, slowing down uh, based on injury and age is something we'll obviously see going into next year. But that's certainly something they're going to have to, to address uh, going forward. But beyond that, um, you know, Joe Paolo, uh, you know, by all accounts should be back. The, the rest of the core uh, should be back. Raul, whether he's, you know, angling for a new contract, uh, you know, at this point is going to be back. So they've got all the pieces, I think, essentially in place. Um, but they do have a couple of questions that they uh, certainly need to to answer. Yeah, I like cannot. Their biggest question. Oh. oh, sorry. I cannot think about Nico Ladero and his situation for very long because it makes me so sad. Like, this is the worst possible thing to happen. In my mind, it's 2016 and Nico Ladero is lighting up the league and taking us to our first MLS Cup. And that's the world I live in. So he's perfectly fine. His knee is not swollen. Everything's great. <laughs> Outside of his health issue, and that's not really something, like, maybe Garth can figure out how to understand it, but there's not really anything Schmetzer or Lagerway can do about that. Um, for Nico, like, it's just, trust the medical and make a decision once you have an accurate opinion on that. Uh, outside of that, there's the left back situation, um, which a lot of fans aren't happy with that. You know, they've, they, they went from having four left backs constantly to having two. And the bench guy was the guy that outperformed the starter. Um, and then Freddie will, and the lack of a fourth, well, I guess Jordan's back now. So they have a fourth forward. But the forward situation, they have a few questions there. But really, that's kind of it. Even with the lose, if they do lose a player in the expansion draft, they're, they're, the roster worry is about uh, left back and figuring out how deep their forwards are. Well, it does set up an offseason where, you know, we, we know that they will have the roster flexibility to sign or we think they're going to have the roster flex roster flexibility to sign two u22 initiative players uh that's assuming Zhao paulo uh is able to be a tamable dp uh they could theoretically also sign a youth dp i suppose if if Zhao paulo is no longer a, a full dp but i i do think they their roster is set up in a way where they could fill their open roster spots with those t- 
two U222 players and not feel like they need to be automatic starters. Like I, I think they can bring back this team and feel like they're starting rotation and maybe even their top 15 is pretty well set. Yes, Beth. Uh, can you explain for those of us that haven't recently read the MLS roster rules, what the difference is between a U22 player and a young DP? Ah, thank you, Beth. That is a very good question. So the way the roster is set up right now, and I won't get too deep and maybe we should do like a whole, like explaining the roster rules episode, but the top end look at this is if you're making more than $1.6 million between your salary and your prorated uh, transfer fee, you count as a designated player. Now, if you are under the age of 22, you can be considered a youth DP. And that's the with those same classifications. Now, the difference with a U22 player is that they can't be making in salary more than, I think, a, I think the it's- Maximum budget charge. I yeah, the maximum budget charge, which is like $612,000 or something in that neighborhood. So- you can't pay them direct salary as much as you can pay a youth DP. That's essentially the difference. So a U22 player is essentially a child on a TAM contract and a young DP is essentially a child on a DP contract. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's kind of a good and, way. And by child, we mean your age. Like, <laughs> to be clear, they're not children. They're, they're, they're 21, I mean, 22 years old. Uh, depends what you're considering a child. <laughs> Maybe it's the defiance. Why are you trying to tell me that I'm an adult? I don't want to adult today. (laughs) Okay, fair. They're all children. Thank you. Yes, right. But I mean, I think to Mickey's point, I think we can probably rest assured that most of the significant pieces of this roster are going to be coming back. The questions are really around, I think, Nico Benize, Will Bruin, Brad Smith, Shane O'Neill, Jordy Delam. Uh, I forgot about Jordy. Yeah. Uh, I think those are the big Stephen Cleveland, Stephen Cleveland, Spencer, Ritchie, Kellen Rowe, Freddie Montero. Those are the guys I think that we know that are, that have like contract options or are free agents and may or may not be back. Uh, which is, I we'll guess find out. we should find out in the next day or two. It sounds like. Yeah, I think we're going to find out pretty soon about those guys. That feels and like a really long list of players. It does feel kind of like a long list of players, but none of them are the – they're mostly not players who are key to the rotation. And I think some of those players we could find out are – even if they're not being brought back on their current options, there's a good chance the Sounders are going to be negotiating with them uh, until they find another team. Uh, you say they're not key to the rotation, but I feel like they may have played in the majority of games this season because everyone else was Kellen injured. Rowe, right. Yeah, no. Well, Kellen Rowe being a prime example of that for Freddie sure. Freddie Montero. Freddie Montero. Players who played bigger roles than I think they were intended to play, though. Yeah. But a bunch of those guys uh, are guys that you lose one and not the other kind of thing. Like, if they lose right. Stephen Cleveland, I don't think all those players will be Spencer gone. Ritchie kind of thing. Uh, Jordy DeLem, right. Shane O'Neill, Kellen Rowe, you, you're keeping at least one of those around. Freddie Montero, Will Brown, at least one of them are back kind of thing. So it's not like you lose all of them. There's there are these interlocking right. decisions. And in some ways you're going to get younger because if you lose, let's call it Shane O'Neill, maybe that maybe you get a U22 um, wide center back kind of player that becomes your your number four behind New Who, Avi, and and Yamar, rather than Shane O'Neill being your fourth center back, maybe it's the U22 guy. Well, um, 
I would like to shout out AB for slotting home his penalty kick. I'm very proud of him. I was going to be, inc- I like, there was just a can of worms that could have been opened if he had been subbed on specifically to take a penalty kick and then missed it that I yeah. did not want to suffer through. And so I'm just really happy for me and everyone else on the internet and also AB that he made his penalty kick. An actual Don penalty I- was ice cold, by the way. That was. That is go- the captain of El Salvador, Alex yeah. Holdon. Yeah. Alex went with the, the very classic uh, run up, slam it home accurately, like all power. Um, yeah. Which, like, it was very. Unsavable penalty. Where, where AB's technique, uh, the run up is bizarre. <laughs> but I think Wade Weber had called him the best penalty kick taker that he'd seen. Um, and when I talked to AB about it early in the very, very early in the year, he's like, oh, yeah, I just practiced it in, in the streets because it was fun. Um, and I'm like, no center back just practices penalty kicks in the street. But I guess if you're from like Lens, which has like half the French national team from it, um, maybe you do from Leo Lee. Sorry. Um, you know, I guess that is what you do if you're hanging out with like Demba Ba and um, such. Even if you're a center back, you just do weird like trick shots constantly figuring out how to score on you know the micro goals that people do on pickup soccer so it might make sense but uh yeah that was clear like wade was like he's going to be my penalty kick taker any anytime he's on the field uh that's how they got their first road win of the year um or road draw i think it was uh, against la galaxy 2 and that's why schmetzer put him in with two minutes left to play we were like joking in the box about like, what if Brian Schmetzer subs on AB to take a penalty kick? And then like literally five <laughs> minutes later, we watched him walk from where they were warming up over to the bench. And we were like, no way. Like, no, they're not doing it. But they did. It was great. It Honestly, one out. of the more enjoyable parts of that match. One of the few enjoyable parts of that match. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and it should be, you know, Stefan Fry's save that didn't count was, you know, for the moments, for the brief moment that we had him making that save, it was, you know, as loud as I've heard CenturyLink or Lumenfield this year. Uh, it was like that very brief moment it, and it ended up not counting, but like for that brief moment, it felt like we're doing this and it, and it was loud. And I, and I, I, I do want to say, the atmosphere at that game was fantastic. It was like, I'm in the press box, so it's hard for me to say for sure, but it felt like everyone in the stands was standing. It felt like it was loud. It was, the TIFO was great. It, it felt like pre-pandemic times. I think no matter the result, playoff games here in Seattle are always going to be on, like, can't miss occasion. Like, there's just something about them. They're special. Everyone shows up. It's cold. It's dark. It's just, there's the smoke that they set off always just lingers in the stadium for a bit too long where it makes it yeah. feel a bit spooky and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? But sad we won't get to have any more of them this season, but it's all in next season. There is next season. And so I'll, we'll close with this maybe overly optimistic tone, but I can't help but feel as though this does set the Sounders up a little bit better for a potential CCL run. Having three weeks more off than they would have had if they had gone to MLS Cup, I think is beneficial. I think it also makes it even more clear as to what the the goal is. 
Like there's no hangover. There's no, like you can turn your focus immediately to champions league. Am I being overly optimistic? I don't think you are, but I think there's also a flip side where if we get bounced from CCL really early, you cannot blame it on having a really long MLS cup run. So like (laughs) this one's going to be totally on us uh, to do well in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they are able to get healthy. I think that's that's priority number one is to get uh, their their key pieces back to full health, have them ready to start the season because they simply have not had that uh, for quite – obviously, they didn't have it at any point last year, but especially uh, towards the beginning of the season because uh, Nico was, was out um, pretty much from the start. So uh, that is kind of what I'm hoping to see when they come back uh, for training in what, like a month and a half or even less than that, probably. Uh, And, you know, we'll see about the roster construction, uh, what happens there um, because the off season obviously is underway for the Sounders now. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what kind of pieces they can add to uh, supplement the core because they're, they're going to need to add a few. And then obviously answering the questions about, uh, you know, uh, guys like Nico uh, and seeing what, what they've got left. The, the early rest does have a benefit. And I think I've used this on a podcast with you a couple of weeks ago, but like Christian Roldan is in Kobe Bryant, LeBron James territory, playing as many playoff minutes as he would if he'd been in an entire additional season. And that's probably true for a couple other guys on the team. Maybe that's a math spreadsheet problem for me to do during the off season. But there's a lot of guys that because the, these deep, deep playoff runs, um, they basically haven't had off seasons like, two thirds of MLS does where, you know, they're used to not playing at this time of year. Um, the good, you know, it's a, a another way to get parity in this league is the fact that the, the playoff guys, they're just exhausted by the time training camp starts. They they've had like a week where they're not thinking about soccer and that's it. And so far they're, you know, a bunch of these bad teams like the LA galaxy are just camping out at home. They, you know, they got Thanksgiving to get fed on and it, all of December to just, not worry about keeping in shape before training camp. So it'll be good for Nico to have uh, a time where he isn't thinking I've got to get ready for the game next week. Cause I think that he takes an overly aggressive approach to returning because that's why he returned twice this year, rather than taking an extra couple of weeks to just be like, Hey, let's get it. He always wanted to be on the field. Always constantly. Uh, Brian Spencer would talk about uh, returning, he's three weeks out and then all of a sudden you'd be like, why is he fully participating? If he said that's three weeks away. Um, so for them to have those extra weeks to relax, um, whether it's good for CCL or not, probably depends on the draw um, more than their ability to stay fit, but they, their chance to have a strong may, um, you know, March through may um, probably rests on these three weeks. I would say that's probably a, a good place to, to end this episode. We've got plenty of time now to think about other off-season things, but uh, it's been a fun one. I think that this has been one of the most enjoyable seasons from beginning to end that we've had. Uh, you know, they, the Sounders, I, I, it's worth reflecting on the ride they've taken us on over these last 10 years. They've given us a playoff win every one of those 10 years. They've now made the playoffs 13 straight years. They made the conference finals. Uh, for 12 straight or conference semifinals for 12 straight. 
they had 60 point season. They had a 20 point goal, 20 plus 20 goal difference. That's only the 13th team in MLS history to pull off that uh, double accomplishment. Uh, this was in a lot of ways, there was a lot more highlights than lowlights this year. And I think it's worth reflecting on. And as we turn the, the page into the 2022 preseason, I guess we'll call it 2021 off season. I just want to say that it's been a joy doing the show with you guys, Beth, Mickey, Dave, uh, Tim at other times, Susie at others, Mark. Uh, it's been a really fun year uh, putting this together. And uh, I look forward to, to talking when we have more to talk about uh, in the off season. So, yeah, great. Uh, and so with that, uh, I will say uh, good season. And uh, we'll, we'll see when we're ready to fully talk about the 2022 preseason and 2021 offseason, I guess. God, there's got to be a better way to say that. Anyway, I'm signing off for Jeremiah uh, and, and Beth, Mickey, and Dave. We'll see you next time. <laughs>